Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Marcy. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to remind you about becoming a Digiday Plus member. This allows you unlimited access to all of our content. Um, there are also other perks like exclusive research, invites to member events, and much more. To find out more, visit digiday.com slash subscribe. Use intro at checkout for a special introductory offer of just $49 for three months of Digiday Plus. That is a 70% savings. Again, use intro at checkout. This week, I'm joined by Courtney Coop, the head of Great Big Story, the CNN-backed media company that is focused on the creation of micro-documentaries. Courtney and I discussed GBS going from an all-distributed model to one where the site plays a bigger role in the mix, building a differentiated brand on platforms like Facebook, and why the GBS motto of feed your feed is compatible with a more substantive variety of content. Courtney, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, a lot of people who are listening to this know Great Big Story, but give us the Great Big Story of Great Big Story. <laughs> so we are a brand that is dedicated to positive storytelling. Uh, our origin story, we uh, are originally the brainchild of two digital executives at CNN. So four years ago, around 2015, I think within the CNN landscape, um, our executives noticed that there was real value in storytelling, which okay. sounds obvious, but when you're CNN and you're a brand that's all about news, um, I think they looked at the strength and the power of CNN originals, their series, their films, mm -hmm. and saw that really powerful storytelling created incredible engagement. Okay. And at the time, more audiences are consuming on mobile, on social, and they saw a, a big opportunity to create a brand with those that ethos in mind. Yeah. And this was the pivot to video time of distributed media strategies too, right? I mean, obviously CNN is not pivoting to video, but right. these a lot of distributed um, video entities were springing up and they were racking up gigantic view counts. They used to come on this podcast and talk about their billion views a month and whatnot. Absolutely. And I, as you said, video is at the core of what CNN is as a brand. So for them, it wasn't a new strategy. It was doubling down on what they did best. Uh, I think what the risk was... If, it, if it's considered a risk, it's making us a video-only company. Okay. In saying that, we were going to launch Great Big Story as a brand that was dedicated to video storytelling. Okay. But the distribution itself mm -hmm. was premised on being distributed on platforms. Absolutely. Most, yeah. We, I think... Um, so, our, but not just Facebook. Not just Facebook. Our original tagline was, feed your feed. And we wanted to be everywhere uh -oh. where you watch video. I, I really love the tagline in general. The idea. <laughs> I don't know if it aged well, though. <laughs> no, it, it absolutely <laughs> didn't. Um, but the idea that the content that you were consuming on Facebook and YouTube, those were the, our two primary platforms at launch, um, could, could be more than just empty calorie, that there could be a destination for real premium storytelling. Okay. So give me an example of the type of, you know, the type of great big story that great big story wants to tell. From the early days. Mm, so like what was the first one that was like, this is this is kind of like this is GBS. It's <laughs> I was just in Cannes last week, a few, few weeks ago mm -hmm. uh, and ran into a, a woman by the name of Rain Dove. And she is a model who essentially is genderless. She walks the catwalk as both male and female. 
And it was the second story that I think we ever published. And I went up to her and said, you probably have no idea who I am. Uh, but I just wanted to say thank you to you because there was a time in our piloting phase where we were developing what what really the voice of Great Big Story was and what and what we wanted our our point of view to be. That I watched the piece that we made with her and said that that's Great Big Story. Great Big Story is about finding the unexpected, about finding the extraordinary individuals who are hiding in plain sight about giving a voice to people who don't necessarily always have one and telling their story. Uh, and so it was a really wonderful opportunity for me to be able to meet her and say, and say thank you, um, because that, that was a really a, a crucial point early on where I knew exactly what the brand should, should be and mm -hmm. what our, our voice should be. And did most people find that story on Facebook? Um, so in 2015, uh, I think our audience built built pretty evenly between Facebook and YouTube. Okay. Yeah. So you were always sort of not just all Facebook. No, 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 no. We've never been a brand. Um, I mean, <laughs> despite being a place where we launched on two platforms, we never put our eggs all in one of those baskets. Okay. And now four years later, we are diversifying the platforms that we're on even further. So did you have to end up diversifying the type of content that you're creating as you, you know, I mean, look, Facebook was, when you guys launched, maybe mm. you were seeing something different, but everybody was focused on Facebook because the numbers were gigantic. And I'd actually say we went against the curb. Okay. I think people loved Facebook for the gigantic numbers, 100%. Uh, and they also really thought it was a place where text on video worked very well and a 45 second video worked really well and we came out of the gate and said we're a brand that's all about premium storytelling we call our content micro documentaries because we think of them as documentaries they have the character they have the story they have the emotion they just happen to be two to five minutes long and not feature length and facebook seemed like an odd place to consume a pure storytelling product like that. Um, but we doubled down on it. We basically said, we're not putting text on screen. We're not chopping it to 30, 45 seconds. We're going to tell a true story on this platform. No hands making food. <laughs> no hands making food, no. <laughs> I, you could probably like sort of justify hey, it. I hey, love, it's a story. It's a story of how a meal comes together. I love process. I love watching how things come together. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, but I, I, as you expanded... Um, I don't know. Has the length of the stories changed? Have we always say that the story dictates the length. Okay. So we want to make sure that we are telling a very impactful story. And I would always rather leave you wanting more than create something that is full of fat, that is not engaging, and that you never watch the end of. Mm -hmm. So we are experimenting with different lengths of videos, but we really want to make sure that the length is driven by what the story is more than anything else. Okay. But it has to be informed at least by the platform. Absolutely. And that's where I think as we talk about the evolution of the company yeah. and where we're going is at launch, we definitely were thinking about two platforms and distributing the same piece of content on both platforms. And now we think a lot more about what works best on each platform, what our audience wants from us on those platforms, and tailoring the content specifically. Okay. So which platforms are right now in the portfolio? So 
for the first time, we're really thinking about our own site as a destination. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> Counterintuitive, but I think it's extremely important. Um, we obviously still distribute to YouTube. I think YouTube is a, is a place um, where people do want to consume full-length storytelling. Yeah. It's a, a, we've created a great community of like-minded creators who are very interested in the process of storytelling. Um, on Facebook... We still distribute our full stories, but we also are trying to find the micro communities who are interested in the same things that we're interested in and figuring out new ways to talk to them. It could be through photos. It could be through quotes. It could be through behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. uh, in thinking about Instagram, um, we've created a few franchises specifically for Instagram um, and having social conversations, conversations about things that are relevant in the world through our content. Um, we launched on Snapchat. We have a Snapchat show uh, that we're currently in our second season of. Uh, so you can see that it kind of grows beyond just the original mm -hmm. two. So how do you make sure you don't have sprawl? I mean, you started by focusing on a couple of platforms, and now there's all these different platforms that, you know, the storytelling is a little different mm -hmm. on each. I think it's all it's audience first. So in really thinking about who our audience is and what do they want from us and putting the audience first to create really quality content mm -hmm. and making sure that we're delivering exactly what they want and what they need. Uh, we don't we are never going to be a place that is driven by pure quantity. Mm -hmm. So. It's. I look at some news sites, CNN in particular. The just the amount of content they create in a given day is mind-boggling. Yeah. <laughs> and especially when we launched, we had a real big discussion about quantity versus quality. And do we want to create the most? Do mm -hmm. we want to create the best? How do we drive engagement with viewers around the content that we're creating? Uh, and so I think that by thinking about those things first and foremost, is is really making sure that we have a premium content. So how much, like, what's the mm -hmm. quantity in a week? So we produce approximately 10 of these micro documentaries every single week, and then we will create different versions of them as well to be distributed across uh, the various social platforms. Okay, so yep. that's, I mean, that's fairly restrained mm -hmm. compared to a lot of, like, video factories absolutely it's true <laughs> that are truly feeding the feed that's what i'm saying feed, yeah. feed your feed is is a little well so we we thought of feeding your feed as being a quality play not a right. quantity one um so how do you match up the business model then um to that because you know the reason look the reason that huffington post at one point was producing a thousand articles a day or whatever mm. um it's not just i mean it was driven by you know their business model um, you know, when you have to create a ton of display ad impressions, you yeah. create a ton of articles. Um, same thing really happened with, with video to some degree. So how do you match up the business model with um, everyone wants to be quality over quantity, yeah. but it's difficult to have a business model that supports that. So we have a, a healthy ad business, uh, both domestically and internationally. Uh, and one of the primary ways that we create um, content is by partnering with brands. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 really thinking about great content, the message and the topics and the themes that brands want to align themselves with and creating content around it. So sponsored content, um, sponsored editorial, branded content. 
Um, for me, those aren't necessarily a quality play. That's a that's a quantity play. So explain that a little bit. So, I mean, it's not necessarily just I need bulk so I can drive as many views and eyeballs on this as possible, mm-hmm. um, which obviously that's extremely important. Um, but for us, it's about really partnering on the content together that we make. So what's like an example? Uh, so PNG is a great example. They've been a wonderful partner for us. Uh, we are currently in our second uh, renewal with them. So last year around Pride, uh, we did a branded film with them called The Words Matter. They wanted to tell the story of how sexual orientation got into their EEO policy statement. So we did a 20-minute film uh, with them that basically looked at the journey that it took to get sexual orientation uh, into that statement. And it's not a clean story in any way, shape, or form. PNG is not the hero <laughs> in the beginning part of that story. So that's the branded element of it. And then we also did a sponsored editorial where we created stories around LGBTQ protagonists uh, and in, uh, did that in partnership with PNG. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was editorial content, um, but they wanted to make sure that we continue to shine a light on those on those characters as well. Mm-hmm. So that was season one. This year uh, was basically a renewal of that. They wanted to tell part two of their brand story. So the day that sexual orientation ended up in their, their EEO policy, it doesn't actually change a lot. The words exist in black and white, but how do you change the hearts, the minds, the biases of the people in and outside the company to actually accept those individuals as human beings. Right. So it's telling the story of what does it look like to actually get to a point of acceptance. And again, they did not <laughs> look like the good guys in that story, uh, but they, they really wanted to mm-hmm. be honest and transparent and tell it. And then we also created, again, some editorial content to live alongside yeah. that. Yeah, and it must be helped by, I mean, just... <laughs> By its nature, it's more commercially friendly content than covering, you know, Sudan or something like absolutely. that. Absolutely. Right. I, I think... Uh, but you're looking to tell, like, kind of uplifting stories. Absolutely. Right? I think that we are, a, hopefully, a, a media brand that, that brands want to partner with. Uh, they know that we're not necessarily going to be out covering a plane crash or, uh, or to your point, mm-hmm. a protest or an unrest. We have a genuinely positive outlook on the world. We strive to give people hope mm-hmm. and to inspire them. It's a Trump-free zone. Uh, we like to say that we try <laughs> to find the light in the darkness. <laughs> so it's Trump-free. <laughs> I want to take a quick break here. With the mission of making the web a first-class platform that delivers results, Pantheon is the world's best web ops platform, one that gives superpowers to web teams, allowing them to take control of their websites and work in an agile fashion to win in the dynamic digital world. With Pantheon, marketers and developers deliver results by iterating quickly, learning and experimenting with their websites in the same way they do with virtually every other tool in their MarTech and development stacks. Pantheon powers over 285,000 sites, and it is trusted by thousands of marketing and development teams around the world. Learn why at Pantheon.com. Dot io slash digiday. That is pantheon.io slash digiday. Now back to the episode. Uh, <laughs> no, but a lot, a lot of brands are looking for safe havens Absolutely. from a lot of divisive issues right now. And, mm-hmm. and um, I think it would probably lend itself to the kind of things you're out in the market with. Absolutely. But also, I mean, I would guess that the business model is more, is it still more towards that than, than, pre-roll ads through YouTube and stuff like that? I mean, so we, 
it is that is the biggest part of our business. Which uh, the partnerships with brands, okay. sponsored content, absolutely. Uh, but we recognize that there's a need to diversify even beyond that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think being wholly dependent on um, an ad business is not uh, a way to scale, uh, which I'm sure is a message that you're hearing every single time someone sits in this chair. Except in your <laughs> Facebook and, and Google, it's worked. It's worked out quite well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we are thinking about other ways uh, that we could drive uh, revenue within the business. Um, so what are the other ways? Yeah. So I our, our IP I think has real value. We are a brand that does evergreen storytelling. Uh, and I think we're we're trying to think about different ways that that content can have value. So one of the ways we think about it, many of our micro documentaries are just scratching the surface of mm-hmm. the story. So what is development production deals that we can do where we dig into those stories further? Yeah. Okay, so I mean they're micro documentaries now, but why not why not make them macro? I mean there's a lot of OTT. Yeah. There. No, that's exactly what we're thinking okay. about, is thinking about different ways to develop that content um, and do a production deal. So you don't want to stick to this two to five minute? We need to diversify our content. Okay. I mean, which I think you asked me yeah. uh, uh, a while ago. Uh, and dif- and think about different ways to tell stories across a multitude of platforms and multitude of lengths. Okay. And then there's things like Quibi and whatnot mm-hmm. popping up that ideally you're going to get like, you know, licensing fees. Absolutely. Right? For- Yep. This IP. Yep. I mean, and consolidation, I think, is another buzzword within our, our own industry. Uh, and we are a brand that that's been part of our DNA mm-hmm. since day one. Uh, to be a part of the CNN and Warner Media portfolio, I'm extremely interested to see what it looks like to even create content beyond just the great big story audience, but what that could mean within the Warner Media landscape. Yeah. So you're building, though, the GBS brand, mm-hmm. not like, you know, it's 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 part of CNN and so it's part of CNN's brand, but you, you need to build a brand unto itself. Absolutely. Yes. That's been the most important thing for the past four years is really building out a distinct brand and not a department within CNN. Okay. And when we were young, we were very loud about being separate, very loud about... Well, CNN's kind of large. It is extremely large. <laughs> and I think it's particularly in 2015, if you think about who they were four years ago, it's a, it's a different CNN than it is today. The world changed a lot in 2016. Um, and I think... Now, in particular, CNN has a has a coolness factor to it uh, that that has really, really helped their brand as well. So in the beginning, we wanted to be like the cool kids off in the corner. And now we recognize that our parents are actually pretty cool. <laughs> so um, you talked about, you know, the original sort of motto being feed the feed. Um, but like, <clears throat> how do you make sure that you're building that brand? Right. Because, I mean, it turns out that the feed wasn't necessarily the best place to build a brand in a lot of cases. A lot of people um, racked up, you know, gigantic views. People like little things. R.I.P. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they had a great story. Joe was on here. Gretchen, I think at some point was on here talking about, you know, going from from zero to 50 million um, in, in 18 months. And they racked up. A lot thanks to feeds, but it turned out they weren't building enduring brands. So how do you how do you measure your progress into building a, a great big brand? 
I'm going to keep making these. I love it. We use friends. it all the time in our in our own offices. <laughs> okay. So lean in. <laughs> um, it truly comes back to the audience and the and the level of engagement that you have with the audience. We are we thankfully have a very loyal, super engaged audience who love the types of stories that we tell. And so I think premium content, telling a really good story is the key to engagement. And so what we're trying to think about is what is that next step in that relationship with that audience beyond just the view? Mm -hmm. So a lot of those brands racked up a lot, a lot of views, but how much of an impact were they having in their, in their audience's lives? How much we, I mean, we watch so much content on a given daily basis. So much of it for me is fleeting. So much of it goes in one ear and out the other. So we are trying to think about impact and right. trying to think about activating our audience but into how do you action. Measure? How do you measure? We're trying to figure that out. Okay. So I think that especially our great big brand and what the, <laughs> the future of it is, our audience sees themselves as, as very active. They see themselves as caring. They see themselves as compassionate. And they want to do something. Whether that's to volunteer in their own community, whether that's to buy something, to donate to something, that's how they self-identify. And so we're trying to think about how can we serve them and how can we kind of create that action with them together. Mm-hmm. So it's now important to, to, for people to visit the site I can't believe we're talking about a website. Yeah. Um, explain why that is 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 now important and not just look. You can reach vast, vastly greater numbers of people on on YouTube and on Facebook and um, other platforms. And we're not going to leave those platforms. No, I know. Yeah, I I love the audience we've been able to build there, and the platforms have been wonderful. To your point of building an audience, I don't know that we know that much about them. Um, and so I think part of our brand as well is we have no home destination, no hub for our fans. And so building a site is giving our loyal fans a place to go, a place to interact with us on a deeper level, a place to consume the content that's hopefully a, a sticky experience that gives them what they're looking for. We talk about rabbit holing a mm-hmm. lot. I think that the type of content that we, we create, the storytelling that we do, our audience wants to rabbit hole into it. And want, once they discover something they like, they want to kind of keep going further and further down the rabbit hole, which is very hard to do off the platforms. You can do it on YouTube, but then, <laughs> then you're convinced that the uh, world is flat. Who kno- but also, who knows where you're actually going to end up terrible. and where they're going to deliver you. <laughs> yeah, so but, there's different kinds of rabbit holes. Yes, there's good rabbit holes and bad rabbit holes. <laughs> but, but in order to think about the growth of the company in the future... We have to know what our audience wants. We have to know who they are so that we can create products, services that feeds that. Mm -hmm. And we just don't have that level of understanding about them right now, um, which is why we want to kind of create a place for them. When you were talking about the different platforms, it sounds like Facebook is is more to market than it is like a a key distribution for the content. We've pivoted our strategy on on Facebook. I think the industry saw what happened last year. And thankfully, we weren't a a place that put all our eggs in the Facebook basket. Um, And even in thinking about about feed your feed, do Mm -hmm. people really want that? 
Do they want that quality, lean in experience from own like that's the only thing they're going to get from us on Facebook? And I'd argue to say no. So yes. What about Facebook Watch? I I think that that's one example of it, but that's not that's not how everyone wants to consume things on Facebook. Yeah. Um. So we've to your point, we've really rethought how we talk to our audience on Facebook, and it's not by just giving them the full length video. Mm-hmm. So how do you decide to pass on platforms? There's a lot of places you can put video content these days. For us, it's very easy to say no. (laughs) You can't say yes to everything. And so we need to be very strategic in what we say yes to. We've got a saying around the office that I love, um, is that we can't be distracted by squirrels. I mean, for anyone who's seen the movie Up, I think like squirrels are a very easy thing to get distracted by. So for ever, anything, so whether it's a new platform, whether it's a new product, whether it's a new experience, like everything we have to be very strategic, methodical about what we decide to grow into. Um, and we need to think about whether it makes sense for the resources that we have, the audience that we have, and whether it could help us with marketing, whether it could help us with revenue, whether it could help us with traffic. We, we try to be as disciplined as possible. Mm-hmm. How, how big is GBS? In terms of the audience? No, people. People uh, and then audience. So um, across New York and London, we have 60 employees, including sales, um, PR, production. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think it's it, it's it's bigger than it was, but it's still relatively small. Yeah. And how do you how do you quantify like the reach? So we have 11 million cross-platform fans. Okay. Yep. What what does it mean a fan? Uh, people who subscribe. Who, oh, okay. Yeah. So no, so yep. you don't talk you talk you talk about that not about like number of views. I. I mean, I could sit here and and say, (laughs) hold on, let me talk about how great our months have been. Um, No, I mean, we just had our best month ever on YouTube. Uh, So May, we saw nearly 90 million views, uh, which if you're- Is that good? I'm always asking. It's very good. (laughs) If you look at channels who have double the number of subscribers and produce five times as much content, uh, we're still performing- got more views than they did so right. that's something we're extremely proud of is youtube a good place to build a brand i mean facebook proved it wasn't um i think it depends who your what your brand is i mean for us being a brand that's dedicated to cinematic storytelling it was a very good place for us to build our brand it's a it's a destination where people are wanting to consume that type of content okay so final thing is um for the rest of the year what's one thing you're excited about coming out of gbs i can only choose one. I can only choose one thing. This year we launched uh, four tent poles. So we wanted to create brand moments where we could be very loud about the things that we care about. Being a brand that's not dedicated to news, tent pole is always kind of a word that we've tossed around and said, what does it mean to us? Um, we're not going to cover the election the way that CNN would, which is a major tentpole for them. So what is a tentpole for a great big story? So this year we launched four of them, one each quarter, that we've built on the back of our point of view on the world and the things that we believe in. So we just had our diversity tentpole called Great Big Voices, 
And we've got, we did Great Big Planet uh, back in April. Mm -hmm. And we've got two more, uh, Great Big Community and Great Big Triumph. Basically, the fact that we believe in leaving a gentle footprint on the planet. We believe in celebrating the things that make us unique. We believe in the fact that ripples can make waves and that humans can achieve the impossible. And so really create, being very loud with our content about those beliefs and creating content that speak to them, featuring characters who embody that, uh, and, just, and just being a brand that stands for something. Okay. Courtney, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, send us feedback. I am at BMRC on Twitter, or you can email me, brian at digiday.com. This podcast is produced by uh, Gianna Capadona. <laughs>